John, now that I am recording, though, yes, uh, we should do a play in one act. Okay. When I say one act, it's actually five lines. And this oh. is... This the is based... old man and the sea. I did it. All right. Sweet. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, 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 baby clothes never used. <laughs> yes, tragic. <laughs> no, this is, a, this is a play in, in five lines. Um, it's between you and our older brother. Oh, yes. So you will be performing... The, the, you will be in the performance of a lifetime um, capturing yourself. <laughs> and I will capture our older brother, Matt. Um, now, we should we should probably first preface that... This um, he he refers to the OR because our older brother is in fact a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Yes, sadly he pursued a, a career in medicine to I don't know help people. The fool he doesn't get to talk about movies whenever he wants. <laughs> yes, he's an idiot for not um, do starting a podcast talking about movies that nobody listens to and makes zero dollars per year. They so <laughs> actually it costs us money because we need to host this. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that. <laughs> But anyway, let's let's do a quick play in five acts. You you play yourself, okay? Or you play the character John. I will play the character of our older brother. All right. Okay. <laughs> so Wednesday, six thirty-three p.m. <laughs> quick question: We were discussing this in the OR today. Is that Rami guy who is in, the main character in Bohemian Rhapsody gay? Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. I thought he was, but Google said no. <laughs> and so I replied very earnestly. That's why it's called acting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, after you confirm that, no, Rami be straight. So Yes, Rami be straight. <laughs> yes. Our brother was still skeptical, but you, you said that's why it's called acting. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, guys. Yeah. Now, that brings up the whole further discussion, though. Should straight actors be playing gay? <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. Oh, no. Uh, we have to take a break. Um, quick commercial <laughs> break. <laughs> Honestly, I don't care if straight actors play gay characters or if gay characters play well, of gay actors play straight characters. I, I don't care. You're not you're not marginalized I, in the slightest. For poor marginalized people, they need these opportunities. And I know that it's it's mostly the casting directors. It's mostly unconscious bias. You know, they're, most casting people are white people, and they want to see more white people. They think the audience is majority white. That's why you know the casting is the way it is. But we need to give marginalized people more opportunities. And I, it's also just sad thinking that someone's trying to make a living as an actor. <laughs> Those poor, poor yes. humans. <laughs> the marketplace right now is not conducive to the a- actors pursuing their truth or their craft. But, um, you know, that's th- this is a whole big uh, opportunity, or excuse me, um, this is a whole big controversy and area which you and I are ill-equipped to discuss. Mm. Um, so let's steer the conversation into something you and I know a lot better, and that's the Oscars, baby. Mm. Hooray for Hollywood. Yay. The Oscars are back, folks. Awesome. <laughs> It's like it's like sports. I'm like, wait, are we still doing this? Are we still pretending like this matters? Oh, is it, it, did an Oscars happen? Did an Oscars ball happen? <laughs> and you may not have known that, but yes, it, it has or, or will at the time of this recording. Um, you may not be aware because who watches terrestrial television anymore, especially now um, while we're still in the midst of a pandemic, uh, that the Oscars are going to be on April 25th this year. I believe it's the latest the show has ever been because um, they opened up the eligibility window a bit wider and 
tried it tried to get more films eligible because <laughs> there were so few and because of that and hey because of that a lot more categories are up in the air this year mm. um and we've gotten a lot more interesting nominees like promising young woman which i think on a typical year probably wouldn't have been nominated but who knows <laughs> i mean i i have a sneaking suspicion a movie like promising young woman would have been a, an oddity and not a oscar front runner so yeah so um like most years, I can only guide you towards what I'm thinking, but uh, obviously I'll be very Greg's, wrong. Greg's very <laughs> invested in the horse race aspect. He he likes to he likes yes to, I am he likes to know the politics. He likes to, he's like a he's like a politico. He's like ooh, well you know these people did this and they're down four points, but you know if they if they get this region and he's circling the map, you know who's that who's yes. that guy from CNN who's always circling the map? That's what Greg's doing. Uh, Steve Kornacki. Yes, I'm yes. on Gold Derby every day. There you um, go. You can. <laughs> I'm playing the odds, and so um, I th- I think John, I would bet if I were you, I'd bet big on Nomadland taking home a lot of awards. Mm. Wow! <laughs> now are you jinxing it though? Are you jinxing it by saying this? Probably because I have the famous Mantel <laughs> <as> curse, <laughs> like yes, the side cover. Said, <laughs> yes, as I've mentioned, I think on this podcast many many times uh, over the course of our 200 episodes, that I have not correctly predicted the best picture winner for like the last decade or so. So mm. if I pick Nomadland, it's probably not going to win. Granted, come on, I'm just one person. Obviously, I'm not jinxing anything. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> I don't believe in jinxes or curses, except for. The cast of Glee, they are cursed. Mm. And somebody be with Leah Michelle. Pray for him. Pray, excuse me. Pray for her. And who's the other guy? Chris Coiter, the the kid who won the Golden Globe um, many Chris years ago. Coiter. Isn't he? Yeah. Wait, Chris Coiter. I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember anyone. The, the gay, Glee. the gay one, the super oh, gay. Oh, yes. Um, Struck by the first gay one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yes. <laughs> no, okay. Why well, do I remember, remember that him. movie? Struck by lightning. Lord knows, no know. one else does. <laughs> Did you even see it? Or? Nope, <laughs> did not. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we got off a tangent. Bet on Nomadland to win Best Picture and Best Director, as well as Best Adapted Screenplay, something which hasn't been done <laughs> except for two years ago, when I believe, uh, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, Alfonso Cuaron won for all those categories. Um, mm. But he did not win Best Picture. He lost. They lost it to um, Green Book. But in any event, um, bet on him. Bet on Chadwick Boseman to win best actor um yep. it may not be the performance of a lifetime but come on i mean yeah. obviously this is what, this is what the academy does they you know yeah. usually give it posthumously so yeah posthumous come on john <laughs> <laughs> this is not time to make jokes best actress is is way up in the air though um obviously the academy loves francis mcdormand and viola davis um but i think this year it's going to go to carrie mulligan so Look out for that, I guess. I mean, I I, the only I reason that. I know who I she is... I say that with no confidence at all. The only reason I know who she is because she was on uh, uh, SNL, and I was like, oh, this is part of the whole uh, push campaign. Like, if you're nominated for an Oscar, you have to appear on uh, on SNL. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> In a middling SNL, so, uh, you know, good for her, <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah. Well, I feel bad for Eddie Murphy, who came back after... Uh, many years of animus with SNL and Lauren Michaels. He came back to host um, to push, to make a push to be Oscar nominated for Dolomite Is My Name and didn't even wind up nominated, so <laughs> I feel bad for him. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. All he has now is his bathtub full of money. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a loving family as well, but in any, in any event. Mm-hmm. Um, supporting actor, go with um, Daniel Kaluuya, I believe. That's that's what all the okay, indicators can, are saying. 
so people have already explained this to me, but uh, how is it that Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, the two <laughs> stars of <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah, end up both getting nominated for sub supporting? Who's the lead then of that movie? <laughs> Um, well, exactly. Um, John, sometimes the story is a lead. Or if you read the AV Club, the idea is the lead. And ideas mm. are bulletproof. Um, so that, that, that's great when you can, I don't know, write your like, facile high school essays in, the, in, the, in a uh, review for the AV Club. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I think it's just a, a chance to honor both of them, even though like again the competition was so thin this year since no because no movies came out um if anything lakeith stanfield should have been nominated for best actor but anyway i haven't seen the movie so it flew off of uh hbo max before i got a chance to stream it, oh so. shoot you're right they took it away i forgot about that yes. shoot i was like planning on watching like again same thing like this year i actually have a chance to actually watch a majority of the <laughs> of the best nominees but unfortunately i think i'm gonna i missed the opportunity to watch uh Judas and the Black Messiah. That sucks. Yeah. Um, in supporting actress, it looks like um, Ya Young, uh, or excuse me, Ya Jung Yoon is going to win it for Minari. Um, but those are the big ones. Other the other ones are up to you. <laughs> Go with God on the rest of the, on the rest of the categories. Um, <laughs> the only one I'm confident in is Best Sound, which was narrowed down from one category from two categories to one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's literally a nominee called The Sound of Metal. So, see, I mean, <laughs> go with the... it, it's so disappointing because that was actually one of the things you got to like do every year was, oh, uh, well, actually, sound editing is bloody blah. Sound mix yeah. is a bloody blah. <laughs> that was like one of yes. the five things you got to do yearly to make you sound like a little pretentious asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and they, they cruelly stripped it away from us, John. That's a real pity. <laughs> yes. Um, what do you have for best picture though? With a big game, what do you think? What do you best think? picture. Oh, oh, for the uh, well, for the one overall, it's going to be Nomadland, presumably. Mm. Um, that one, Vegas is taking money away from you if you try to bet on it. I believe. See, but... I heard an interesting theory, and I think there's some yes. credence to it. It might be the trial of the Chicago Seven. You've got, you know, like the the uh, pool is now so much more diverse of of people mm-hmm. who vote. So you've got your old, your old curmudgeons, your old like octogenarians who are like they don't make pictures like this anymore. They're all gonna go Mank because Mank is you know one of those old Hollywood celebratory like oh the magic of movies, and then the younger folks, the newest members of the Academy, they're gonna go Nomadland. So there's gonna be a split, and because it's now preferential voting, it's like a ranked voting yeah. system. You know, if those two are split, what's the number three one that's probably going to bring those two groups together? It's probably going to be the trial of Chicago 7. So if there's, like, enough of a split between those two, it might be the third place. Yeah, well, one, I'll push back against that theory. One, because everybody says that. It's always like, oh, what if the third winner, like, you know, Mm. pips the post in this ranked choice ballot? Because it has been ranked choice ever since they went to 10 nominees back in 2009. But it's never happened. It's like the third place winner has never, like, come out (laughs) on top. Or at least that due to that preferential voting system. So it it hasn't happened in the 10 years that that we've had this. Um and two, it also that's also dependent on people thinking Mank is actually good, mm. which I don't believe they do. I think <laughs> I, I don't know. Yes, they, they admire the technical craft of it and maybe Gary Oldman's performance, but it hasn't won a single like in spite of all the nominations it's got. It's leading um, of of all the nominated films this year, it's leading in the number of nominations. However, it hasn't like won a BAFTA. It hasn't won a Golden Globe. It hasn't won mm-hmm. any of the precursors, other than maybe the cinematography uh, 
uh, Guild nominations. So, or excuse me, the Cinematography Guild. Award. The Academy famously hates David Fincher, so there's obviously that animus <laughs> there as well. So, I, I don't think they famously hate him. I think I think they they admire. Well, everybody hates him. He's such a <laughs> such a tool. So. <laughs> But he did it for his father. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's a good story. I know. I know it's a good story. Um, but I think that again, this is remember that this is not a meritocracy. Mm. The, the best, the best film doesn't actually take home best picture, and it's all due to like campaigning and politicking. And I, I must say that Netflix has really screwed the pooch and not like really pushing that. Hey, this is this is like a a son's tribute to his father, and instead like Searchlight is is really the one like succeeding as they usually do. Oh yeah, as they always do. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Oscar campaigning threshold, and that's why Nomadland is going to take it home this year. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm saying that with complete confidence. No jinxing, no no uh, curses, nothing like that. So Okay. Yep. I mean, I didn't like it that much, but I guess, you know, it's, I didn't get to vote. So <laughs> When's my voice well, going to be had, Yeah, I know. Well, you had that, that general stereotyping like, oh, the, uh, the, Oscar, the Academy is old and curmudgeonly. Of course they're going to like Mank. I have it on good authority, the authority being my mother-in-law who watched <laughs> it with all her friends, and they all loved it. So <laughs> if it can win over some, yes, if it can win over some women, in their white women in the Pacific Northwest in their 60s and 70s, I think it'll win over the That's Academy. That's true. They do too. love aging stars, and they love Francis McDormand, so. Yeah. <sighs> All right, all right, all right. We'll take your word for it, guys. That's that's advice you can take to the bank. <laughs> yes, <That's> right. <laughs> Please do take it. Take it all. Take all your money to Vegas. Put it on Nomadland to win Best Picture, and on Red at the Roulette Wheel. There you go. <laughs> you heard it from me. <laughs> Greg's this counting. Is Greg the Greek with my. This is Greg the Greek with my shoe in of the week. <laughs> with my lock of the week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, classic. But Greg, that's I know. The, this is all too recent for me. I want to cast my eyes back. I want to go to a more mis- nostalgic time, shall we? Let's go. Let's go back through history. Exactly. Uh, many people are saying, "Oh, this is the most diverse Oscars we've ever had," which is true. And I'm I'm lamenting that. Why can't we go back to the Oscars so white of of not just 2012, but I'm talking like 1952 or 1956. In fact, let's let's go back to those halcyon days, huh? Mm-hmm. I want to see a classic movie that's directed by a white guy, written by a white guy, and starring a bunch of white people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even in roles of people of color and native folk. Um, exactly. <laughs> so if we haven't given, given the game away enough, um, we're, we're catching up on a, a movie that has it's definitely been a blind spot in terms of um, its, its critical acclaim. It's generally regarded not just as the best western of all time but also maybe one of the best movies of all time and that's what we're here to adjudicate whether it uh it lives up to those laurels we're talking about the 1956 john ford directed john wayne starring the searchers
I know I made it sound ominous when I should have been like the searchers. <laughs> the grand, searchers. A grand picture. <laughs> a grand picture. A rip snorting adventure. Starring John Wayne. That gives me an opportunity to pull out my John Wayne impression, Pilgrim. <laughs> I'm sorry, Towelhead. Because <laughs> he's racist. <laughs> I, I know. Well, you went with an Arabic. <laughs> Nobody was. That's what he calls him. He calls him Towelhead and Half Breed. He did. Film. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. So we've got a movie here, kind of s- stuck in time. Um, <laughs> that's that's generously putting it. <laughs> I yeah. Okay. Well, when I say stuck in time, um, this is now generally regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, and I think it's it could be because partially because of its its merits and it being ahead of time in some of its attitudes obviously way behind in a lot of its attitudes too but also um because because it does toe this line between being um a movie about the great american west but also being about an anti-hero somebody who's who's not it somebody who's not like glamorizing this era um somebody who we could have more complicated feelings about which was very unexpected for a john ford directed john wayne starring western so that's why people admire it i mean you could um, also talk about how you know hollywood star wars like steven spielberg martin scorsese um paul schrader yeah. they all love this movie and so this is probably yes. like and it's it's one of those kind of movies sometimes we end up doing a movie where it's like you watch it for the first time you're like oh that's where that shot comes from that's where that <laughs> you know it's like yeah. you're seeing all the roots you've you finally come back to the original so that's yeah. that's kind of one of the, that's the interesting aspect of revisiting this movie so many years later for I don't know today's movie watchers or younger folks. Um, the most obvious like example of that is um, you see Star Wars, you see Luke Skywalker rushing back, like Uncle Owen on Peru when he comes back in his home meds in his homestead has been completely decimated by stormtroopers. That is literally lifted shot for shot from the Searchers. Mm. Um, so <laughs> tell you something about the influence that this movie has. Um, but as I said, it's it's a little stuck in time. It's 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 telling the story of, of a cowboys versus indians uh, tale essentially however it's it's complicated a little bit by john wayne who again an unabashed racist in real life <laughs> playing an unabashed racist in this movie and it's not and but un, unexpectedly it's not shown as like an an, an unqualified good thing um, <laughs> his attitude <laughs> Yes, but also the movie doesn't condemn him for it too much either. You know, it's it's one of those fine balancing acts. Well, it's yeah. Well, it's it's kind of being artful in his in its condemn, condemnation of him. Mm. Um, so he he arrives in this homestead after many years away. He's a Civil War veteran um, on the wrong side of the Civil War. Um, I was wondering what you Surprising, thought. Surprising, I know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was wondering what you thought of the the color choices because um, he is a Confederate general, but I thought like his um, his jacket is surprisingly dark. It's not the it's not the traditional gray that you saw. And I'm wondering like, do they ever are they ever going to actually name which side of the war he was on because his jacket is like like literally it felt watching this like high quality transfer on HBO Max. I was wondering like, are they going to toe the line like, hey, he could possibly be a Union veteran or a Confederate veteran. <laughs> I mean, that is a possibility. I do think that, yeah, there's this whole kind of 
think he's meant to be kind of like an anti-hero, but obviously you can't make him too unlikable. So yeah, there there could be yeah. like a kind of sanding of the edges there, where he's like, oh, you know, he lost for the Confederate, but that just makes him an underdog. And oh gosh darn it, he should have won, you know, because he's such a good soldier after all. <laughs> like I think it's more playing with that aspect where it's like, oh, you just want to root for him and you just want to see him win. It's a shame that he lost that darn war. <laughs> America loves an dog uh, like the Confederacy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I got to say, um, in the in the movie Patton, uh, George C. Scott famously says, "America loves a winner and will not tolerate a loser." Um, I will say wrong. America <laughs> loves nothing more than a loser. The Confederacy, Donald J. Trump, <laughs> um, mm. our soldiers and our soldiers from Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. We love losers. <laughs> yes, we're a nation of losers. Fight gum. Yeah. I don't like it. What don't you like? Engines on a raid generally hide their dead. And if they don't care anything about us knowing, it only spells one thing. They ain't afraid of us following or of us catching up with them either. You can back out any time you want, Nesby. Ethan, I didn't say that. Didn't say such. Easy, Nesby, easy. Jorgensen! <laughs> Why don't you finish the job? What good did that do you? By what you preach, none. But what that commence believes, ain't got no eyes, he can't enter the spirit land, has to wander forever between the winds. You get it, Reverend. Come on, blanket head. Look, but anyway, it's look. We yeah. can we can we can dance around it for eons, Greg. Okay, there's lots to talk about with this movie. We can talk about the outdated politics. We can talk about the gorgeous cinematography. We can talk about the acting mm-hmm. talents on display. But that's all kind of rendered moot because there's ultimately one thing that we have to discuss with this movie, and that is it is b o r i n g. It is boring. This movie is boring. <laughs> <laughs> Now, wait a second. Okay. This movie... Maybe not boring. This movie is amazing because it takes... It spans over five years, over half mm-hmm. the American continent, and yet they used three sets and never filmed at night. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, that's why I want to say this movie's like halfway. Because it's, it's basically two movies. Like, A, we have the storyline where John Wayne's Ethan Edwards and his nephew go after searching for um, a young girl named Debbie. Um, mm-hmm. The homestead that he's returned to is his brother's homestead. They have a family of three, and it gets ransacked by um, uh, adversarial Comanche. Yes. Uh, Comanche, as they call them in the movie. Yeah. But don't uh, worry, you'll see that set later again, <laughs> playing a different house. So. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay, listen, the, the Texas homesteads probably all looked alike back in 1860. And just plopped right perfectly in the middle of Monument Valley? I don't think so. <laughs> like, that's the problem with, like, movies where you're just kind of, like, disengaged. Is You, like, notice all these little stupid details that your brain wouldn't necessarily yeah. bother with if you were, like, really engaged. But it's, like, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm noticing every little thing that bothers me. For instance, uh, in that first homestead, uh, there's, like, this chair that they have that's, like carved out of a barrel and i'm like that's too kitschy like for 1868 <laughs> like i don't think they had those kind of chairs back then but and then i had to start doing my research and figure it out but you know famously we all know kitsch was invented in 1930 so yeah a little too early for that <laughs> of course we obviously we all know that uh, but 
Okay, I won't say it's boring because that storyline's fine. I think, however, they wanted to make it a little bit more epic in scope, and so they amended the storyline where Ethan Edwards' nephew um, <laughs> is is not courting, but is is basically called away from his love named Lori. And so the other half of the storyline deals with Lori and her and her travails and love. This is the and, um, this is the meanwhile back at the ranch aspect of the story. Yes. So you got our A plot and yeah. our B plot. Yeah. Because if we don't, if we only have one storyline, people will get bored. Obviously, so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we need so the we B to... plot, which consists of her reading his letters. That's it. <laughs> yes. So we have to cut away to something more boring. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Fine. Let's just talk about the merits of this film. I didn't want to compare it to a, a previous John Ford. Uh, John Wayne or John Wayne collab that we did for this podcast a couple of years ago, Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. I think you and I both like that movie, and it's because it was very simple, very good, like dramatic setup and stakes. Um, obviously, not a complicated or nuanced portrait of the Native <laughs> Americans. They're just like seen as bad guys. So I I will give the searchers some credit for again trying to make a new more nuanced uh, look at this conflict between American settlers and the natives who already live there, but yeah, it's it's not as good. It's nowhere near as good as Stagecoach. It it's it's not not I won't say boring, but um definitely just just not as effective like in terms of drama. Like the the Lori storyline as you said, she's just reading a letter and she's just complaining like, "Oh, he's not coming back to marry me. What the hell?" <laughs> like Vera Miles, a world-class actress and she's just like a, a shrill ninny the whole movie. And then and then the same with um John Wade's sidekick, uh who's a one-eighth uh who John Wayne resents because he's got some some native blood in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe he, he calls him half breed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One eighth Comanche, even though yeah, he's a white actor, pure as the driven snow. Because <laughs> um, that was that was what, how they cast folks in 1956. But um, yeah, he he's just a, a whiny, complainy guy too. And so like, I, it, as like complicated as Ethan Edwards' character is, and as like effective as those moments can be, like um like they don't show him come across the the um the remains of um one of the one of the family members of this homestead and they ask him where's your jacket and he demurs and then he dramatically reveals like i put it over the the body of uh lucy the the eldest daughter in this family um she ultimately you know succumbed to uh enemy violence or something and you know like even though those moments work dramatically, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot else uh, going on other than go, other than gorgeous Monument Valley locations, and yeah, day for night shooting and bad sets, um, <laughs> bad sets with a lot of um, town dullards. Yes. There are too many dullards in this movie. There's too many. There's like a, a comedic side character who just pissed me off every time he was on screen. His name is Mose, and he's like yes. obviously meant to be you know neurotypical, and so as a result, he's just like says dumb things and is obsessed with his rocking chair it's like oh yeah the great what am i what was i expecting <laughs> like obviously a nuanced portrayal of this character no obviously not um well th- yeah a dumb character not in service of the story because he's he, again he just throws out non sequiturs in like a, a doleful dumb like way even when they're having like a shootout with the hostile natives like <laughs> and so like yeah i like yeah this is the perfect time we need comedy relief here <laughs> oh but it, it was i tell you what you saw was a buck wearing lucy's dress i found lucy back in the canyon wrapped her in my coat buried her with my own hands thought it best to 
keep it from you. Did they? What was she? What do you want me to do? Draw you a picture? Spell it out? Don't ever ask me. As long as you live, don't ever ask me more. Like, there is a moment, though, like, again, like, I just got so kind of, like, bored watching the same, like, Monument Valley, like, scenery out after yeah. another, until about halfway through the movie, they end up in the snow, and it's, like, absolutely gorgeous, <laughs> like, yeah. and it's just, like, a nice kind of, like, change of pace, and again, like, it feels like it's actually coming up with the epic scale that the story is intended to have, where they're, like, in the snow, the horses are actually trudging through the snow, and there's this cavalry charge that goes through this, like, you know, melting river, and then the scene just ends. <laughs> it's like, what was that for? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think again, their intention was to make this more epic in scope. Um, one of the great things about that previous collaboration, Stagecoach, was how um, clear the scenario is. we got to get from point A to point B. Here are all these characters who conflict along the way and how they have to work together to arrive at their destination. Um, and all the little like drama thrown in there. That's great. Here like the drama we're talking about requires a a bit more nuance a bit more like sensitivity than i'd say john ford like <laughs> you know epic rugged you know wild west man just like john wayne you know fancied himself to be like you know, the, they're the, the best you could assume is like broetry is like you know trying to be poetic and not really getting there and um i wouldn't say it really gets there until i don't know the final shot though which obviously this movie is also famous for but we'll again we'll get there um Instead, you're right. We've got like too many like silly comic set pieces, because like as you said, our our meanwhile back at the ranch, quote unquote. The the other storyline we're cutting to is um, Lori Vera Miles's character being just like shrill and unpleasant because um, her her love Martin keeps going off on these expeditions to find the missing Debbie, mm-hmm. um, the youngest daughter from this homestead that's um, been ransacked, and um, yeah, she reads the letter and and. Like it's not really informing anything. It just feels like a distraction because he he tells her everything about like yeah. how a misunderstanding leads her to leads him to be the husband of a of a of a Comanche woman and yeah. It's, well, it's like I think it's like again like the, it was intended that this was going to be a B plot or at least like a way to kind of like break up the action. But the only way they can manage to do that is she's reading the letter and then we see the scene play out as it was intended. So it's not really yeah. adding anything to the story, unfortunately. Um, well, like this, and again, like talking about the, the the bad politics of this movie, I think the women also get very like tough, short shrift in it. You know, the fear is obviously that you know they kidnap our white women and that they're going to kill them. And then yes. later we get a scene where it's like, oh no, their fate is worse. <laughs> they find a bunch of women who have been rescued from the Comanche, and it's like they've all lost their minds. Like they can't even like yeah. relate to human interaction anymore. Like because they've just been so traumatized. And you know, like John Wayne even makes this horrible comment. It's like they're not white 
right anymore. <laughs> like, you know, they've, like, yeah. lost all value as human beings. Like, it's so horrible. It's, it's ugh, just made my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. Now, if the movie were really progressive, mm. here's what they would have done. They would have had Laurie not just dictate the letter and have the scenes play out. What they should have done was have Laurie join the posse with Martin and Ethan Edwards. Mm. And it's the three of them together. Uh, like so a you have grit the situation. Yes, and you have the romance between Martin and Laurie play out while they're on this journey. And so, like, you could have situations where they rescue one another. You don't have this... Again, like, it just feels... It feels offensive to have this, like, um, I believe it was a Hispanic actress play, this Comanche woman who was, like, yeah, doing, like, again, like, doleful, like, yoo-hoo, I'm your mm. wife now, like, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it just felt, uh, again, it just felt gross and wrong, even though this movie, I think, tried, mostly failed, like, tried to tell a more nuanced story where it's not just cowboys and Indians. Cowboys, the good guys, Indians, the bad guys, um, and... Yeah, it just does. It just doesn't work as as a movie. And I feel like this this is the other thing we should comment. I think a lot of movies from the fifties are kind of graded on a curve, like this in Rear Window, like which is also dull and has a lot of like weird character dynamics. But they're graded on a curve because a this is when all these magazines are starting to evaluate like the best movies of all time and there's like a recency bias but also it's when like Roger Ebert and Martin Scorsese and all these guys were kids and of yeah. course like they were growing up know. on this stuff so obviously they, yeah. they like again those nostalgia glasses obviously are, are blinding mm. them to the actual quality of this film and again it's just <laughs> yes. it's so weird reading the trivia about this movie it's like Premiere Magazine declared it the sixth greatest movie of all time and I'm like really? Really? This? <laughs> this? Come on. No you stop that! Marty! Marty! Stop it! Sergeant McCoy! Sergeant! Yes, sir. Is this here altercation in the, in the line of duty? No, sir. It's more in the nature of a private fight. Well, all right, then. Go ahead. But fight fair. No biting or gouging. <laughs> and no kicking either! Get him up! Get him up! Get him up! All right, now you fight fair, my boy. Hey, wait a minute, Marty! Huh? Somebody's fiddle. Hey, Sam! No choking! No choking! No gouging! Oh, Mr. Edwards, make him stop! Why? You started it. Oh, Marty! Wash his feet! Oh, you thought no! Don't forget you're a lady. Fight fair now! Fight fair! Come on, Charlie! Come on, Charlie! That's it, Charlie! Okay, let's maybe let's look at the positive aspects. So, the, yes, it's not it's not very good overall, but I do like moments of, of John Ford's direction, like um, when when we first established the threat of um, of uh, Comanche falling on the homestead. There is like a scene out of a horror movie. The movie uh, the camera like dollies in on on Lucy again, their oldest daughter, and she has this like horror scream or whatever, <laughs> and like so, suddenly things were feeling real, but then and now they suddenly feel more real. Um, same with. Uh, Another moment later, that as I mentioned, um, th- there's a scene we don't we're not privy to it, but uh, John Wayne's character comes back from this like a uh, little little canyon, and he's missing his coat, and they ask what's wrong with your coat, and it's not mm-hmm. until revealed later, and and there's like a little emotional vulnerability there, like he's not just the stalwart Duke anymore, he's also like a a character who's feeling something, and um, another piece of um, storytelling that people love to talk about this movie. Um, 
it's it's a little background detail that kind of explains Ethan Ethan Edwards' uh, animus towards the Comanche people. Mm-hmm. Um, our youngest girl Debbie, she's hiding outside near the gravesite of Grandpa and Grandfather um, while the Comanche are actually attacking this homestead, and um, she's hiding in front of a or behind a gravestone. And you actually see on the gravestone, here lies the the matriarch of the Edwards family. Uh, you know, date of birth, date of death killed by Comanche people. And then people, th- and then you realize, oh, maybe that's why John Wayne's character has so much animus for the yeah. Comanche people. It's not complete racism, guys. He has its reasons. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> well, it has its reasons. It, I think people neglect the fact that you don't put the person's cause of death on their tombstone <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless Ethan Edwards was, Ethan Edwards was really like already animated by his, by his hatred of, of Native Americans, mm. um, nobody nobody puts on their headstone like here lives Grandma, nineteen twenty two to two thousand two, cause of death cancer. <laughs> um, nobody does that, unless I think Ethan Edwards did want to put that on the gravestone just to reinforce that yes, I have this hatred of of the Comanche people. Yes, <laughs> or maybe to like warn people like ah, this happened to them. Yeah. And it can happen <laughs> to you too. <laughs> No, I think if there is something to be said about this movie, if we're, if we're focusing on the positive, mm-hmm. again, let's compliment Sandwich this. Um, it is a gorgeous film to look at. Shot in VistaVision. Yes. Widescreen, Technicolor, you know, and uh, we watched yeah. the transfer on HBO Max, which is absolutely gorgeous. So I think there is some good direction here. I do think it's it's a very pretty film to look at. I just think the yes. story and, isn't pretty engaging. Yeah, and, <laughs> no. And I want to push back. You you goofed on the day for night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's But, like, pretty well done. Like I think, okay, with our like with our eyes, like <laughs> she wins. There are a lot of shadows for people in the dark. <laughs> I still thought it was convincing. Okay, fine. But I mean, if like blazing saddles right. can do night scenes at a campfire, so can these people. Come on. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, they were in Monument Valley. There's no light out there well, at guess, night. But, I suppose you're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, again, getting back to what few positives there are here. Um, I think one of the, again, great great touches in the story is when they, they actually do find an older Debbie five years later. She's now played by Natalie Wood. And um, she does recognize her brother Martin. And, and she doesn't uh, want to be rescued. No, no. She did, no, so, yeah, you see the, there's a good scene in which she's, like, strong, telling like, you know, kind of forcefully telling him, get out of here, this is my life now. And then... But then Ethan Edwards comes in and threatens to kill her, basically. Like, as as you said earlier, like, if if he sees them as fully converted and no longer white, again, he, he thinks that's that's a fate worse than death. So he wants to he wants to kill her, and Martin, like, wants to protect her. I was thinking, like, okay, finally we're getting at a, a climax or, in the story. Um, it's a shame we have a whole, like, wedding sequence, like, after that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but at least, like, that's an interesting twist, and also, like, during the course of this rescue operation, like Debbie runs away. She doesn't actually want to be rescued. Um, and she, and she kind of has her hand forced. And, and when she is finally returned to a, a friendly homestead, um, she's, she's not crazy, but you know, it takes a, an, a, an actress with the skill of Natalie Wood to kind of play the nuance of like somebody who's uncomfortable and unfamiliar or, or no longer like comfortable in this kind of, in these kind of environs. So, um, I don't know. I thought that was good, but it's all leading up to the final shot, John. And come on, what a, what a final shot it was! Um, mm. You know, again, give it, give it, give little credence to a movie from 1956 for not for not saying like you know, John Wayne, you did it. Fade to black. Stand triumphantly in the doorway. You're great. <laughs> 
Yes, he but he, st- he walks out, kind of giving nice closure to the story that he's walking yeah. away. The the story's concluded, and he's going off into the distance, into the sunset, as it were. So it is it is a pretty shot. Not gonna lie, not gonna lie. Well, no, there's there's more to it. Like so, it's it's one shot. We see uh, Debbie being taken back to back to a friendly homestead. Um, not exactly like overjoyed in that situation. Martin and Lori are kind of together. Um, presumably, there's still a future for their relationship, even though she she hates him. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like John Wayne's left there, and again, you see another mo- little moment of vulnerability. And again, give credit like John Wayne may have not have been a world class actor, but you know he was a movie star and can play like little moments well. And he does here. He like kind of like grabs his arm and and kind of demurs and you know shifts shifts his feet and again shows a moment of vulnerability when obviously you're if you're a movie star of that caliber you want you want to appear you know strong stalwart tough uh, aloof and cool at the at other mm. times like um but you know the it's a great moment and and he's not walking off the sunset it's got like um it's a there's a air of tragedy to it as well but because again he's an anti-hero so again like a lot of the movies we see, a good ending can make up for it. However, that is not the case with The Searchers. Um, <laughs> this movie falls flat, as you said, in a lot of areas, um, and is and is severely severely lacking. Not even the best, not the best western of all time. Not even the best western that John Wayne and John Ford did together. Stagecoach is still better than this. Yes. So. <laughs> to remember that you know everything in this context the 1950s you know young little young little boys boys you know who dream of becoming making their own movies one day they were very inspired by it mm-hmm. so i guess we have to give it some credence there but yeah it's pretty boring it's uh, uneventful i almost fell asleep like twice watching it so <laughs> i cannot recommend it yeah, i still i still think the, think this is your problem i think <laughs> you're not giving these movies your whole undivided attention because it's already split between 18,000 ways and you can't no you can't commit you can't commit to a podcast that has no listeners and makes no money (laughs) excuse me no (laughs) i put my phone away i put it in a low lock box and i give it a little kiss (laughs) and i go "Mm, later my sweet and then i and i give my full undivided attention to the movie okay I mean, sometimes right, if there's like half an hour, sometimes that's how I know how engaged I am if I'm tracking a little how much time is left, which I also yes. did a lot for this movie. And so I had to pick yes, up my that, little lock box wedding. and go, soon, my sweet. <laughs> yes. That wedding scene is interminable. Mm-hmm. However, there is a great moment, another great John Ford close-up. Not only could he do the viscous, he could do the close-ups well. Mm-hmm. And it's when the the camera uh, kind of 
trucks over or moves in on Vera Miles as she's watching these two men fight basically for her attention and she like smiles. <laughs> That's great. That's what she always wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, the movie could either be a silly, you know, like kind of wedding drama set in the West or a, a big epic adventure like trying to find somebody in a, in a hopeless situation like it could it could be either one or the other not both um so that's where the movie falls down there you go yep <laughs> again if they could just stick to one thing just do one thing yeah. well and then you're in good shape that's what all directors need to learn again efficiency that's what we need to get back yep. to we need to get a time back to a time of efficiency yes but john we've already taken up a lot of people's time let's 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 keep it efficient let's keep it snappy let's let's move on Let's um let's give something that uh, people let's offer up something to folks that they do want to watch. Um, and it's a subject of our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight. I'm gonna tonight. do more S words. More more spitting into the stomach. My spitting and F word. Yeah. More sloshing around. <laughs> yes. It's it's at this point of the the episode you will hear my saliva and me sucking sucking wind from my teeth. Because that's what happens if I have to talk for more than thirty minutes. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> it's amazing how hoarse your vo- voice can get from just talking for forty five straight minutes. I don't understand yeah. it. I'm like I've talked this much before. Why does it hurt? <laughs> Why does it hurt so much? Because I, I have to talk over you. Because you're wrong most of the time. Excuse me. And I have to correct you. No, 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 no. I I am the correct one. I think we need to do a poll. We need to do some kind of some kind of adjudicating here. <laughs> yeah. And knowing our listenership, one, it'll be a one-to-one even split vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one one voting for you, one voting for me, and we are voting for ourselves, basically, because we're the only one to listen. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, John, I mean, I, I'm going to correct the record on this one, John, because I've got an unexpected uh, spotlight for you. Okay. Um, probably something that you, you, you would dismiss, uh, as we both did, I think, when this movie came out in late 2002. Um but it was recommended. It came via recommendation on a podcast that my wife and I listened to. So we put it on HBO Max, where you can also find The Searchers. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it, it's, it was a kind of an unexpected joy. And I'm talking about the movie Drumline. Mm. Now, have you seen this movie? Or? I have not. Uh, I know it has okay. a one young Nicholas Cannon, who is a star, yeah. I believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, an unproblematic fave, as we like to call him. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's that nice man who hosts The Masked Singer. I remember him. <laughs> yep. I listen to his radio show in the L.A. area every day, um, <laughs> where he's just got nothing but the correct opinions and <laughs> and voices them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think when you and I were alive and like kind of budding cinephiles back in the day when this movie came out, and I think you and I dismissed it, like, oh, that's just after-school special stuff mm-hmm. and... Like weren't inter- weren't interested in this kind of story, um, and and yeah, it is like it is basically a sports movie centered around um, like competitive marching bands and and drum lines and things like that, and and so there's not a lot of unexpected twists. However, I'm happy to report it's it's a wonderfully produced movie that they do to their like to the fullest extent of quality. So even if it is like has to fit into like the mold of a of a prototypical sports movie, they do it to the nines mm. and they do it exceptionally. Um, Nick Cannon is like good as like the young copy up star. He's so he's not just a drummer. He's also a virtuoso drummer. So there's a bit of like, like um, uh, Goodwill Hunting in terms of like you know, <laughs> we got to draw you out of the streets and you know, make something. Of, yeah, of we're gonna draft you. <laughs> yeah, you deserve more from this station in life. <laughs> yeah. 
so like he's a virtuoso drummer however like what's nice is that there there's not a lot of like temptation in terms of like drugs or violence on the streets like nobody gets shot or anything like that mm-hmm. so like you know it's not it's not like misery porn or anything like that or like trying to side trying to tell like the the sad side of the black experience or something but um um again he's he's good as like the arrogant lead and needs to be shown like uh through his ways through like a very good explication of like how the marching band and the drum corps work so there's like a, one lead drum that he has to like you know win over and then there's like the drums coach and then there's the band leader who's my favorite character who I think the movie really should have centered around and that's Dr. Lee who's played by Orlando Jones mm. um I don't I don't know if we remember Orlando Jones. He's now on American Gods, and well, he was, was on American movies. Gods. He left okay, uh, yeah. very not amicably, but um, oh, bunch bummer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you know America has uh, many faults, as we all know, and I think one of the yeah. biggest ones is that we have been sleeping on Orlando Jones for too long. Um, <laughs> We've been sleeping on him, and also trying to put him uh, his his brilliant round peg into the wrong square hole mm-hmm. because back in the late 90s like he was on Mad TV and I think he was also on In Living Color like very good like comic actor and so everybody's like okay you're gonna be Eddie Murphy now <laughs> yes. like be in all these movies and be Eddie Murphy and when it didn't materialize we're like oh f- done with you <laughs> yes. toss you away <laughs> yes it's tragic this is how Hollywood when works, he's obviously got Yes, when he's obviously got so much talent to give, and he gives a, a great performance here as as a doctor, a PhD of musicology. So he's he he as the band leader like wants to do like really difficult like musically challenging work like um like like Flight of the Bumblebee with like eight thousand with a complete arrangement in the thing and like classical works and like really complicated R and B songs from like forties, fifties, and sixties. Whereas, like the pressure from the from the higher ups and the boosters is like play pop music, play like simple stuff that everybody knows and loves, mm-hmm. like, and that's what his his rival band does. And so he gets like, he gets like he feels this like moral obligation to to oppress the band and really stretch like his love of music and and like you know, but he's also got this pressure from donors and and things like that and uh, for his job. And so like. I, I think he does this very well. He has this great scene that I thought was reminiscent of Salieri in Amadeus. It's it's our introduction to him. It's this crane shot. It's like uh, th- they did film at night in this movie, unlike The Searchers. <laughs> and um, it's this crane shot, and they're playing and he, they're playing like this this complicated arrangement of when the saints go marching in, and he and he tells his band good morning, good morning to music. Hmm. <laughs> And it's great. Like again, they actually film at night. They actually film in cold weather. You can see like the breath in front of like the the drum lines faces. Like, but again, they did it all wonderfully. And um, I, and I'm happy to be part of the the cult following that this film has earned. Um, a very unusual cult because um, I don't know if you knew this, John. There's a debate of uh, whether the school that Nick Cannon's character goes to is actually real. <laughs> How is that a debate? It seems like something that'd be very easy <laughs> to settle. <laughs> Well, I I think um, for the for the incurious, for the people who don't know how to use Google, it's it's hard to figure out. But um, he goes to a fictional school called Atlanta A and T. However, they have the same uh, color scheme and logo type and everything as North Carolina A and T, which is a historically black uh, university, which also has like a a, a renowned mar- marching band. Um, d- but weirdly enough, the rival school that the their main rival in the marching band is a real school. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I can't believe like the school like signed off like yeah we'll be the villains in your movie. That's great. <laughs> That's I mean how how bad do they get? Do they like try to sabotage I, well, the other no, team? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, so there's no real like sabotage. Or whatever. Yeah. Like you know, it's like how how nasty is this evil team? Are they like full of rapists or something like that? And, like no, no. Yeah. <laughs> spiking girls' drinks or something like that? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I, there, there is an intense drum battle. Technically, a punch is thrown, but you know, like a punch know, is thrown. But then everybody, that's yeah, unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> exactly by, by the rival school. Weirdly mm. enough, but everybody blames Nick Cannon and said like you went too far. Like so. <laughs> Again, that's the uh, granted. It doesn't work on every logical step or whatever, but it's still a great movie. So it's still like quality stuff. All right, all right, all right. We'll check it out. We'll check it out. Yeah. Well, Greg. I feel bad recommending so much from HBO Max because we're not sponsored by HBO Max, unfortunately. And Lord knows they no. could use the publicity. I mean, come on. <laughs> Everyone knows it's the worst you know, streaming site. But they have a lot of good content on there. Been, uh, I finally caught up with uh, At Home with Amy Sedaris. Um, Wonderful. Which, oh, I didn't know that was on there. That's great. Yes. I'm going to watch All right three now. seasons are on there. Yes, it's brilliant. <laughs> I was howling yes. within the first five minutes. When she, yeah, absolutely. When she introduces fish as those mysterious creatures that live in the wet stuff that drowns you. <laughs> okay. I thought it was going to be um, her from her episode Cooking for One, where she's on the back of a, of a dual of a combined bicycle. Yes, that's, that's also a great episode. Uh, the 15th anniversary special is also great for her 15th episode. You know, it's like a clip show, but obviously it's all new clips. And it's like, yeah. like they're like, you know, all era specific, like from the 1950s. It's black and white, and she looks like all of Lucy. It's great. It's brilliant. Love it. Yes. Um, yes. But no, instead, there's another great show, which originally was on a streaming service called DC Universe, mm-hmm. okay, um, and it's called Harley Quinn. Okay, so this is the animated show Harley Quinn, not the movie that they retitled Harley Quinn <laughs> because it kind of bombed at theaters, yes. or at least didn't meet expectations. Okay, this is where I'm confused, <laughs> but okay, yeah. the, but this is the animated show, and it's right? also and yes, it's animated and. Like, it's also, like, it feels like we're kind of drowning in adult animated content currently. So, like, I can kind of understand that this show is, like, it it can kind of, like, feel like an also-ran. But, like, part of the joy of an animated, you know, adult sitcom is just the density of jokes they can kind of, like, fit in. And it literally is, like, it almost has that BoJack Horseman quality where it's just, like, a joke literally every 0.5 seconds. Where, like, the the premise is it's following the same exact kind of, like, Harley Quinn storyline the first episode. You know, she's dating this Joker. It's an abusive relationship. She needs to learn to kind of, like, strike out on her own. And so the first episode kind of ends with her committing to being, you know, she's going to be single. She's ready to mingle. And she's going to be the worst supervillain the town has ever seen. (laughs) So, um, and then the other thing animating the show is her relationship with her best friend, Poison Ivy. Um, Poison Ivy is, uh, you know, they have a a very special bond, a very special relationship. (laughs) Um, Well, I I thought... uh, there was word of how special it would get, um, which piqued my interest. Oh, and it does get there. It does get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, episode four, five. Uh, try two, like hopefully. try like episode eleven of season two. See, they really make you. Work. Oh gosh, they who really has that? Up. Yeah, who has that kind of time? <laughs> this is worse than like. Oh, Breaking Bad is really good after the first season. Like, how much time do you think I have? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like. 
part of the the greatest like kind of quality of jokes they get is the fact that they're best friends but also roommates so like a lot of the humor comes from the fact that they're like super villains but they also have to like deal with what do you want for takeout tonight it's like oh i don't know look don't do that thing where you're gonna take 10 minutes and then you're just gonna order the pad thai again it's like i know but i like to see my options (laughs) um and so, and like the other thing too is like they kind of build it up because it's like Poison Ivy throughout the whole series is clearly quoted, like coded as lesbian. Like she talks about mm-hmm. her time at Sarah Lawrence and her, you know, her Indigo Girls collection. Um, but also, it gets a lot of comedy mileage out of the fact that she's also throughout the series dating Kite Man. Kite Man famously is one of those like F list, you know, uh, supervillains yeah. from, you know, Crazy Quilt, Polka Dot <laughs> Man. Exactly, yes. So Kite Man is one, like, he makes an appearance in this show and he's dating Poison Ivy for a majority of the show. And so it gets a lot of mileage out of that as well. You know, it's the whole, it gets a lot of mileage out of the fact that they're, you know, they're supervillains and they're dealing with like supervillain related problems, but also there's like a banality to it all. Like the Legion okay. of Doom is like this bureaucratic, like messy organization <laughs> where, you know, like, like, there's a threat that the henchmen might unionize, you know? It's, it deals with, like, those kind of, like, fun elements. And I think it does it much better, okay. like... Like, I never could have get into the Venture Brothers, and it's like... I feel like it's treading a lot of the same story as the Venture Brothers does, but it just feels more contemporary and smart. Like, okay, Venture Brothers always... Like, trying to rewatch it now, I was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of, like, cute for 2003. I can kind of see why this was such a big deal when we weren't, like, inundated with superhero stories. Like, they're making fun of the Fantastic Four! That's crazy! It's someone knows what that is! <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Harley Quinn is... It's, it's an exceptionally funny show. And uh, it's my second spotlight okay. that's featured uh, Katie Kaku. so... Katie Kaku. Yes. I was gonna... Is she the voice of Harley Quinn, or... Yes, she's the Poison voice Poison Ivy of, or something? Yeah, she's the voice of Harley Quinn. All right, so how how is her, her New York accent, Mr. J? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Made famous by the original Batman animated series that you and I loved as kids. So. Exactly. Where, you know, Harley Quinn originally originated from. So, uh, yes, ori- so. I'll, I'll say originally <laughs> one more time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, she's great. It works. Yes, she's great in it. Um, it's a it's an amazing voice cast. You got uh, Alan Tudyk as the Joker and Clayface. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Not not Mr. Hamill. Mr. Hamill didn't come back. Was did he not want to do a Joker for that wasn't for he's kids? Been, he's been doing the Joker for so long. Come on, give him yeah, a break. Like it's got to be hell on his voice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ron Funches plays King Shark. <laughs> he does he does a great job. <laughs> I do like Ron Funches. So. Yes. Um, Tony Hale does Mr. Psycho and a few other characters. Um, okay. The weirdest character, and I think he's not going to be coming back anymore, but the weirdest character they introduced is uh, voiced by Jason Alexander, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. George Costanza himself, as Cy yeah. Borgman, who is the landlord to Poison Ivy's building, and he's an old Jewish curmudgeon who's been enhanced with like cybernetic parts <laughs> very strange <laughs> I, they never quite like it's funny but it's also like they never quite figure out what to do with the character but okay other than one scenes where it's got to be an annoying landlord presumably exactly. uh, with his cybernetic body okay but of course the the breakout star is of yeah. course Frank the Talking Plant, voiced by JB Smooth. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> you know, obviously a lot of it takes place in Poison Ivy's apartment because again, they're roommates. Yeah. There's a there's a talking plant named Frank <laughs> who just kind of hangs around and smokes weed all day. <laughs> um and it's voiced by JB Smooth and it's just absolutely hilarious. <laughs> 
Mm. I think my favorite line is, you know, uh, Poison Ivy's famously independent. She says, I work alone, which Frank interjects. Oh, you work alone? Yeah, because you make plants do all your <laughs> work, you lazy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, fr- Frank bringing heat. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Maybe okay, maybe they, maybe just, you, you compared it to BoJack Horseman, and that made me want to run from it like a plague. But uh. I just mean in terms of like the 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 amount of jokes they're able to fit into like a five second yes. you know run. Early know. BoJack Horseman, yes. where it's not just a big therapy session. Okay, well, no, cool. like I think the first season of BoJack Horseman isn't great, but the second one they hit their stride. So yes, I'd say it's okay, very much second season BoJack Horseman. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Sorry, and no, no one, Again, cry, no one cries. No one, you know, it's obviously they're dealing with like you know relationships and. and are they are they held accountable though, John? We're holding people accountable. This is true. How how can we be a good person in this system, Greg? I don't yeah. know. Yes. Anyway, we desperately need to be liked and adored and validated. Okay. <laughs> is Harley Quinn is Harley Quinn seen by the end? Does she feel seen? Well, I mean, you're just gonna have to watch to find out. Okay, damn it. <laughs> all right, fine, because that's all I care about. Uh, anyway, um, but I, John, come on, that's a, that's a wonderful spotlight. Of course, you can like advertise these things. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm going to hold you accountable. Oh no. Okay. Oh no. It's going to be the subject. I'm finally canceled. This this, I knew this was <laughs> yes. going to be it. This is going to be the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. And it's the subject of this week's trivia challenge. Oh, this hurts. I'm scared. I know. Yes, as you should be, John. All right, because we just watched a, a hella problematic movie, The Searchers. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, a, a Hispanic woman plays a, a Comanche, a, a woman of Comanche descent. Um, the main villain is a white guy, also playing a, a person of Comanche descent. Like again, not great in terms of uh, casting. And so yes. I want to kind of correct the record and hopefully um, just just prepare us to be a little bit uh, more diverse and and not rely on these tropes, not rely on things like cowboys and Indians. Um, so this uh, trivia challenge was inspired by a tweet um, from Gloria Calderon-Colette. Um, mm. She's a TV producer and was a showrunner um, for One Day at a Time, a beloved show. Um, uh, she said, y'all, <laughs> writing a rom-com that passes the Bechtel test, DuVernay test, Mako Mori test, Vito Russo test, Smurfette principle, while also having no Mary Sue, no tokenism, and no manic pixie dream girl is possible, and my new show is doing it. Can't wait to share. Stay tuned. Now, John, that's a whole lot of terms. How do I? How? Where? Where's the tallest point at which I can jump off of? Because honestly, <laughs> <laughs> no, John. It's important that you know all these things. Okay, I want to prepare you for your role as the head of a major motion picture studio. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to quiz you on each of the, on the meaning of every term that she threw out. Oh right. no! Oh no! <laughs> yes. This, I, I to hold, this hurts. This hurts so much. <laughs> yes. To hold you accountable in making sure that you're implementing diversity, um, <laughs> and that uh, again, that people are represented in scene. All right. Are you ready? Of course you're not ready, but no, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Don't worry. It's multiple choice. Okay. Number one. The Bechtel test has three criteria designed to include more women in storylines. Mm-hmm. Which, which of the following is not part of the Bechtel test? Is it A, at least two women speak to each other, mm-hmm. B, at least two women are named characters, C, the women talk about something other than a man, or D, a woman must drive a car? 
It's it's the woman. Uh, it's D. It's the the, the, the the driving is not important. Correct correct mundo. Okay, I I that's my criteria. I think it's great if women drive a car. Um, it helps get them literally from point A to point B, and it shows that they're in control, yes. which is important. So, and agency. They, they have, have some, agency. Yes, <laughs> they have agency. Okay. Question number two. The DuVernay test uh, stipulates that African Americans and other minorities have fully realized lives rather than serve as scenery in white stories. Um, it's named for famed director Ava DuVernay, but she did not create these rules, as the name implies. What film critic named these criteria named these criteria after DuVernay? Is it A. Manola Dargis of the New York Times, B. Jessica King of the Los Angeles Times? C. Anne Hornaday of the Washington Post, or D. Movie Bob. It's A, because she does a podcast with Wesley Morris. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so okay. that's my okay. best guess. And right. and I know the Are Los you... Angeles one. She got called out in that Malcolm movie, that Malcolm and Mandy movie from Netflix. <laughs> oh really? Okay, I didn't know that. Um, I thought you would have went with D. Movie Bob, your no, favorite no, movie critic. No, obviously <laughs> not. No, he's, that's that's obviously not true. <laughs> but yes, but you're correct again. It's in Manoli Darkness in New York Times. Yes. So, way to go! You're two for two. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Number three, the Mako Mori test attempts to amend the Bechtel test by giving women independent storylines rather than define them just by their relationships with other women. It is named for a character from this movie. What is it? Is it A. Your name? B. Big Hero Six? C. Pacific Rim? Or D, 102 Dalmatians. I know this. Sadly, it is C. <laughs> the Correct Pacific it. Rim. Because this is what people think a strong female character is. They're like, yes, let's look to 2014 movie Pacific Rim to tell us what a strong female character is. This isn't sad at all. John, John, are you a Tumblr super user? You are three for three. You are nailing this right now. <laughs> I hate okay, this. I hate four. this, and I want to die. <laughs> okay. Well, again, I'm holding you accountable. You should hate it, all right? This is preventing you from being canceled, which is a fate worse than death. All right, number four. What historically underrepresented minority does the Vito Russo te- test attempt to celebrate with its three criteria? Is it A, LGBTQ people, B, people on the autism spectrum, C, people with disabilities, or D, Italians? I wanted to go Italians because it's the Russo thing. <laughs> but, <Yes. laughs> but I have a sneaking suspicion uh, that is not the, that is the joke answer, so I will not go with it. I The joke answer? What are you talking about? <laughs> None of these are joke answers. I am going to say disabilities. Incorrect, John. It's actually LGBTQ oh. folks. Um, who is this lady? I don't know who Vito Russo was. Yeah. I, I don't know who Vito Russo was. We already have Alison Bechtel, yeah. famous lesbian yeah. cartoonist. Why is lesbian part of her job title? I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. Was she a lesbian? I don't know. I, yeah, she's a lesbian. <laughs> that criteria was a... Uh, I thought it was a joke just so she wouldn't have to go to the movie theater. I thought that was the idea. But um, No, anyway. the, the original the original co- comic that you know coined the Bechtel test it's called dykes to watch out yeah. for she's famously a lesbian oh, okay all right all right i didn't know that very right. famously a lesbian yes okay all right but you're three for four still doing pretty well all right you're, you're not being threatened to can- be canceled yet mm-hmm. okay so number five the smurfette principle describes film and tv shows with a cast made up entirely of men and only one female mm-hmm. Uh, according to TV Tropes, our favorite website, <laughs> yes, the um, most readable website on the planet, <laughs> yes. Which of these films exhibit the Smurfette principle? Is it A. RoboCop, 
B, Cobra, C, Goodfellas, or D, Toy Story? All right, list them all again, please. I'm surprised yes, okay. it's not like a list of 12 million animes at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said A, Robocop, B, Cobra, C, Goodfellas, or D, Toy Story. I, because, you know, TV Tropes is, is written by people of our ilk, people around our ages, I'm going to assume Toy Story is the most relevant example, so I'm going to go with Toy Story. John, I love your thinking, because it's correct. That yes. is absolutely right. Bo Peep, Bo Peep is the lone female Booyaka in Toy Story cat. And obviously, <laughs> yeah. when they introduce a love interest for uh, Buzz in um, uh, Joan Crawford's, uh, not Joan Crawford's, fuck, <laughs> Joan Cusack's, um, uh, God, what is her name? What's the, what's the female cowboy? Well, you Jessie, said Buzz Lightyear's love interest. Yeah, it's Jesse, but you said it's not Buzz Lightyear, it's Woody. No, it is. Um, no, it's she. I, it, like what? in the third and fourth. When did they become an item? They're an item. When did you didn't they... know this? No. Uh, someone has been paying attention to the Toy Story mythos. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole thing. Because, again, Woody has Bo Peep. So, and obviously, once they introduce a new female character, they have to excise Bo Peep. She disappeared. She's gone forever. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, moving moving on swiftly from that because I don't want to get into the Toy Story mythos anymore. All right, number six, the Landau test, created by writer and producer Noga Landau, mm. attempts to bolster female representation by stipulating what a film or TV show shouldn't have. A film or TV show fails the test if it features any of the three any of three plot points. Which of the following does not trigger a failure of the Landau test? Is it a a main female character ends up dead? B, a main female character ends up pregnant. C, a main female character physically or emotionally hurts another female character. Or D, a main female character causes a problem for a male protagonist. I am going to go with B, because B, women, uh, women on women, you know, women got to be supporting women. So I'm going to go with... <laughs> oh, wait, actually, no, this well, is uh, not This is not on the... Shoot, okay, backwards. Okay, it's backwards. Yeah. Uh, shoot. Uh, I guess it's C then. I'm gonna go C because it's you know C C. If you're filling out your Scantron sheet, you know if you get a C, if you just click C for everything, then you're fine. <laughs> you at least get seventy percent, which is what I'm aiming for. Okay. Well, wait. No, so wait. So C is the main female character physically or emotionally hurts another female character. That's that's what C is. Oh, that's what C is. Okay, I thought that was B. Yeah. What's B then? No. B is a female character ends up pregnant. Okay, that one is um, that one is probably not included because yes, it is a common trope, but not common enough that I think she needed to write it into law. Okay, um, well you're wrong. She did feel that she needed to write that one <laughs> into law. It is it is C. I mean, female character physically or emotionally uh, emotionally hurts another female character. So that's kosher. That's fine. Um, I mean, I guess it would be no romantic problems. comedies if that never happened. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, um, and not the, maybe not the most helpful rule in the world, but you know we're trying our best here. Yes. <laughs> okay. Final one, John. Don't worry. All right. You're 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 do, still doing pretty well. So you're you're not being threatened to cancel yet. However, we're we're delving back into TV tropes. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Nathan Rabin coined the term manic manic pixie dream girl, mm -hmm. a term which he has since regretted publishing. But anyway. Um, <laughs> What character was he referring to when he first coined this term? I think also Alison Bechtel hates the Bechtel test. <laughs> like she was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like, again, a friend of mine came up with it. I put it into a comic, and now all of a sudden, I'm the one credited with it. <laughs> yeah. What character? You actually don't even need Nathan to read, read them because I'd know. 
It's Elizabeth Talbot. Uh, but it's... I'm going to. No, but I'm going to. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> is it A, Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, B, Natalie Portman in Garden State, C, Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth Town, D, Zoe Deschanel in 500 Days of Summer, E, Kate Hudson in Almost Famous, F, Mary Elizabeth Winstead in <laughs> Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, or G, Diane Keaton in Annie Hall? <laughs> It's Elizabeth Town, you know, noted world world class <laughs> filmmaker, Cameron Crowe's magnum opus, Elizabeth Town. <laughs> yes, once again, correct, Mundo. John, your eyes are glowing. You're now you're now galaxy um, branded out. You know, it's you're just... now <laughs> yes, you're you're now occluded onto Tumblr and TV tropes. Um, <laughs> they worship at your feet now. Um, they say you exhibit. Uh, you, they say you exhibit. You're a Marty Sue, and um, that you have, uh, exhibit qualities of eight thousand other tropes. So way go. to go! Yes. Good job. <laughs> awesome. But very good. Again, Hollywood, come a call in. All right, we're ready. We know what it takes to run a successful studio. So, because mm-hmm. we know movies, we're Mister and Mrs. Movies. Um, <laughs> you're Mister, I'm Mrs. Movies. So, but also, doesn't like don't movies require some kind of cliches? Like you know, like when we talk about like adjudicating like fan fiction and tropes, it's like when you go into a sci-fi picture. You're expecting things yeah. to be as they are, so it's like how do you, how do you adjudicate tropes when it's like this is what people are looking for when they go into a particular genre? Exactly, genre wouldn't exist if you didn't want tropes <laughs> and plot points and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so again, it's not helpful to even I, I don't know like make fun of this stuff. It's even less helpful to write it in the way that TV tropes does, where it's like a completely different language. Like you know what a, a Mary Sue is and the Smurfette principle, and you just it's a self-referential root loop of yes. like you know <laughs> the Smurfette principle is like a Mary Sue, which is like a Marty Sue, which is like a <laughs> it's the most painful website of all time. Yes. Um, yeah, I do also want to come up point out like you know I you and I are all for like diversity and think it's like absolutely a good thing um but i was kind of poking fun at these because i think it's not really a mode of criticism but more like a consumer choice advocacy thing mm-hmm. like it's she kind of goofed and uh, um the cartoonist bechdel kind of goofed like you know it was kind of like a way not to see a movie because so few movies do feature like women named women, female characters like actually talking to each yeah. other and so like that's the kind of thing it's not like no it's you know a movie's good a good or bad if it doesn't have like named female characters however like as consumers it's maybe something we can support more. exactly um, and that's why yeah. she regrets it because again it became about adjudicating particular movies and not an indictment of the whole industry which is what the intention was <laughs> you know yeah. it's like it was meant to criticize the hollywood movie picture business not like particular movies in and of itself like mm-hmm. the fact that she says get away from her you bitch so Courtney weaver says that to the alien queen <laughs> does not instantly make it a good movie because it passes the bechdel yeah. test which again is the yeah. joke which is the like and again like this is also what pissed me off is like someone on Twitter did, like, make the joke. It's like, uh, technically, aliens, like, passes the Bechdel test. It's like, yes, that's the original joke in the comic. <laughs> in the comic, she yeah. mentions, like, uh, the last movie that actually passed this was Aliens. So, like, yeah. And I hate it here. <laughs> but that's okay. Again, we're all consumer advocates here. And you can continue that advocacy on social media, the most productive place for it, I believe. Mm-hmm. And how. Please give us a follow on Facebook, a follow on Twitter, Instagram, we're all on there, um, just contributing more, more uh, slop to the to the pile, <laughs> more grits to the landmill. So, um, 
enjoy it there. And hey, if you did enjoy this at all, uh, give us a, also a follow on your podca- podcast service of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're all on there. And so, like, you know, hit a subscribe to all of them if you want. Exactly. I mean, and also, I don't know why most, you have all three, but the most important thing you need to do, though, is not just like follow yeah. us there, but also give us a five star rating because that pushes us closer to the top. And, you know, that allows people to find us more, more actively. So you need to make sure that you give, leave us a review. We need some we need some yes. positive feedback, because gosh darn Absolutely. it we 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 need some we need some positivity in this world. Come on, let's not cancel yeah. each other. Let's build each other up. What's the opposite of canceling? Let's uh, renewal. Renew. Let's yes. Renew <laughs> Peak TV. We're renewing. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my outlook on life. I'm not about cancellation. I'm not about cancel culture. I'm about renewal culture. There you <laughs> here, people. I love it. I love it. Renewal and rehabilitation. Um, Hopefully we'll do that with our reputation, um, getting away from this, uh, again, very problematic movie, The Searchers. Um, maybe we can get something to get to something a little bit more positive with what we're watching next week. Well, Greg, let me tell you, there's a hot scoop. <laughs> I'm telling you, next week we're going to be revisiting His Girl Friday. <laughs> yes, I felt like we haven't like talked fast enough or loud enough, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, <laughs> with that mid-Atlantic region, that regional accent, don't you know, that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you haven't been to, you haven't been to finishing school, eh, eh chap? <laughs> I guess I haven't. You know, they they flunked me, unfortunately. I tried tried my darndest. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have to work on insults for one another, really. Um, <laughs> just so we'll be prepared. But yeah, we're going to be watching His Girl Friday, which is hopefully lighter. I know it's um, it, it's basically the front page, right? Yes. Um, it's only there's now a girl named Friday in there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, the front page was. The, this is the one little fit trivia fact I like about it. Um, mm-hmm. The front page was so popular that it actually it was so popular it made people start rewriting their female characters. So originally, you know, we had an intrepid, uh, well, we had a reporter character in a famous comic that was just kind of like a you know a nothing character until His Girl Friday came out. It's like, oh, we can adapt that you know personality to her, and that became Lois Lane. <laughs> originally, she was just kind of okay. like a blank slate, like love interest, and then or oh, let's make her sassy. Let's make her like on the scoop. <laughs> you know, she wants she wants that that hot topic. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so you and I had never seen it before, so we're gonna be. Enjoying it now, mm-hmm. I guess. Hopefully, more than the searchers, perhaps. But that's not a high bar to cross. No, that's a tale for another day. That's tomorrow's A one. I'll tell you. <laughs> that's above the fold, good sir. Yeah. All right. In any event, you old jalopies. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> and until next jalopies an insult. <laughs> yeah, was jalopies an insult? It feels it feels error appropriate, so I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So until next time, keep aspiring, don't you know? <laughs> I don't know if they said don't you know a lot. That sounds actually more of Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah. Minnesotan, that's Prince's story, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>